Welcome back to the Manhood Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. Today we're going to talk about a number of different questions and comments that came in this week. But before we get to any of that, I'd like to give a bit more of a detailed update on our upcoming character and word and grammar expansion. So the Manhood Blueprint method up until now has been 36 levels covering 592 characters and just around 1,000 words. Now, why do we choose this particular limit? Well, in our previous analysis, we were able to figure out using a huge lexicon that that 80-20 principle when it comes to Chinese characters and particularly spoken Chinese. That is to say, how much do you need to learn to get to the 80% coverage point? Because that's a that's a stage in the development of the language where learning new things is actually relatively easy to do. That is to say that you have some connection somewhere. So in that remaining 20% that there still is to learn, you must have a connection at least one or two steps away from that 80%. So if you're looking at an article of a thousand words, you're going to recognize, or sorry, I should say a thousand characters, you're going to recognize 800 of those characters on average, assuming it's not like a scientific paper or something. And so this was a threshold we really wanted people to get to. But that remaining 20%, that's not where all the meat is. That's where you get to the point where you really start to become not just proficient, but really fluent. And so this is something where we're really excited about it. And it's actually, technically speaking, it's a bigger project. So if you imagine that it takes 20% of the effort to get to 80% of the results, then it takes 80% of the effort to get to the remaining 20% of the results. But because you have that foundation moving beyond 592, you don't mind. It's not a big deal. As a matter of fact, it's actually quite enjoyable. So let's talk a little bit about what we did to expand the course. So the first thing we looked at was this lexicon of over a billion characters. And the, this lexicon, and what we're talking about here is a source of Chinese characters that gives frequencies of how many times did this character show up amongst the billion, right? And what are the sources? Well, almost everything. You got newspapers, periodicals, Weibo, so that'll give you a lot of like colloquial uh, slang or you know spoken Chinese or internet slang. Uh, you'll of course be getting novels and and um, magazines and things like that. So you're going to get a very eclectic mix of the different types of Chinese that there are because people tend to want to do spoken Chinese first, but written Chinese or the more formal Chinese comes up a lot. I mean, there's a lot of situations in life where you need to be a bit more formal or you need to be a bit more polite. So the idea that you should only focus on the stuff that's purely spoken is, you know, maybe good for the very beginning, but you should make sure that you get your written stuff in as well. And so we're taking all of that into account by building the lexicon that way. Then from the lexicon, you figure out, okay, this character shows up let's say a million times out of the billion characters. So that's pretty frequent. And so, you know, it's gonna get a score based on that million times. And so every character gets a score and it builds a hierarchy. So what we did was we said, okay, we want people to easily be able to pass the HSK four after they finish the next expansion of the course. So unfortunately that means we had to add some characters in that weren't actually in uh, the high frequency range, but the HSK is an important test, so we did include some of the words that are in the HSK test so that you can be sure that you can easily pass it. Hey, it's a certificate that tells people you know Chinese, so we want to make sure you're able to pass that. And so ultimately, though, we decide, all right, around 1,500 characters and their associated words is about how much you would need to know to easily be able to pass the HSK 4 and keep improving your skills and, and enter into something that is a solidly 
you know, intermediate to intermediate advanced level. And so the first thing we did was draw that line. Okay, 1500 characters approximately. And then after that, we said, okay, here's the hierarchy in pure frequency. But what we want to do here is we want to not only consider how many times did this individual character show up, but what words can you make with it based on what you've already learned in the Mandarin Blueprint method previously? And so that's another factor. So you got the level below, which is essentially the character itself, and then the level above, which is how many words does it unlock. And then what we did was group them together by common component, right? And so then we said, okay, of the common components, which one is the better one to be the you know, main component. We usually tried to pick the semantic component. So in a lot of Chinese uh, text, there is a phonetic component and a semantic component in the individual character. And the phonetic component, while it's, you know, maybe useful to be aware, uh, it's not necessarily giving any indication to the meaning. So, for example, one thing that comes to mind is the character Xiao, which means to exchange or intercourse of some kind, whether it's like social intercourse, like Shijiao Meiti is the is social media. That character Xiao is the right side component in another character pronounced Xiao, but this one has on the left side has the um, moon or flesh component, the Rozipang, and that component indicates that this has something to do with either something fleshy or maybe it feels fleshy, and it happens to have the meaning of glue. And so you can kind of get why they had that semantic component there of the flesh character. So the Zhao in that particular character is not giving you anything important related to the meaning. It's just telling you this character is probably pronounced similarly to the original character, Zhao. And so we would give priority to the semantic component and then group them together. This way you can learn related concepts at the same time. So then after we built these prop groups, we then took the character frequency score and then the amount of words that it unlocks based on the previous things you've learned in the Mandarin Blueprint method and what you've learned in the new expansions at that point and gave it a score. So each character and each prop group had, each character had a score and then the whole prop group had an overall score. Then we compared the different prop groups together and we said which one has the highest score and we built a hierarchy. So this way, you're learning the characters and words that have the most bang for your buck earlier and then learning things together that conceptually relate to each other. So it's pretty nifty. You've got some good, uh, you know, mixing of the various things that you need to do in order to be able to quickly acquire Chinese and, get, and not waste too much time. Now, all that being said, there is sort of a meta point about this, which is that at the end of the day, you're still going to learn all this stuff. So learning one thing a bit earlier than another thing, it's important in terms of your enjoyment and your feeling of progress, but it's not actually that important whether or not you learn something at character 1300 versus character 1500. It's just because you're gonna do it all anyway. But still, we've tried to make it as enjoyable as possible for you, and this will all be coming out very soon. It's like it's hard when you're doing such a big project to predict the exact day, uh, but you know we are working uh, very, very hard on it, and it should be out, you know, within, as I said in the previous time I was on, we said within the next month, so that gives us another two weeks. I'm pretty sure we're going to have some new content for you within the next uh, two weeks, and then we'll be rolling out the rest of it as time goes by. Okay, so with that in mind, let's get into today's questions.
First, we're gonna start off with our prop suggestions and regarding prop suggestions, there are going to be about 163 new character components in the upcoming 900 some, uh, I believe it's gonna be 931 more characters. Oh no, that's not right. The total number of characters is gonna be 1,531, so it's actually a little bit more than 900. But the point is, uh, amongst that 900 some characters, there are going to be 160 new character components, which we represent through objects or props. And so this next section is going to be prop suggestions. And what we'd like to actually recommend, first of all, we're going to be sending an email to the people on the course who have been doing really well and giving a lot of prop suggestions and see if they'd like to participate in a preemptive prop suggestion sheet. I've actually already made it. And the idea is that we'll have preemptive suggestions for props for these new character components, and then we'll include them in the course directly. And so if you're interested in finding out about that and you didn't receive an email from us and you want to participate in giving us prop suggestions, send us an email at contact at mandarinblueprint.com and we'll uh, go ahead and get your suggestion into the actual course. Assuming it's you know an appropriate suggestion. So the prop suggestions that came in this week, this is from people on the course and they had suggestions for other people on the course. For the pick a prop for die, which is a component that means substitute, we have Alina saying Dragon Sakura substitute teacher from Dragon Sakura Japanese movies. So I haven't watched any of these, uh, I haven't watched any like uh, Japanese movies. So this is probably uh, something that is close to Alina, but it wouldn't make sense for me. And that's what's nice about this method. It, you can have whatever works for you and is your particular uh, field of interest. She says, probably there are not too many people here watching Asian movies, but still maybe help for someone else someday. I'm sure that it will be. There's plenty of people who've been on the course who like anime and like Chinese movies and like uh, Kung Fu and you know, all that stuff. So I'm sure that people will come across um, and find that to be a useful recommendation. Dragon Sakura substitute teacher. Again, Alina on pick a prop for show. She says Buddha's hand. So show means hand. So she's saying Buddha's hand. It masters many fighting techniques. Also, it can come from the skyline, a huge squashing hand. After disappearing, it leaves a huge handprint carved into the floor. The prop is inspired from an old movie, Buddha Hand, which is Kung Fu Hustle, which I remember it was a kind of a comedy. So sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, hilarious. Matus on pick a prop for two. Harry Potter writing with the black quill. I must not tell lies. Uh, that was from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, and that makes a good prop for him. Absolutely. Because that was a very dramatic scene where he's like writing with the quill and it's coming up on the back of his hand. I must not tell lies and making him bleed. That's pretty intense. Daniel Leo Simpson on pick a prop for done. Looks like an old-fashioned coffee grinder. So again, he's looking at the uh, actual prop itself saying, it looks like this. So if it looks this way, then maybe I can imagine an old-fashioned coffee grinder. And that's really easy when you do it that way. Alina on pick a prop for Jung. She says a corkscrew. And that makes sense because it's very the meaning of Jung is to use or useful. Uh, the corkscrew is a part of a Swiss Army knife, which is our suggestion because Swiss Army knife is uh, useful. But if you'd like to just link to that and go, well, a corkscrew, it's a useful tool and it's a little bit easier for me to imagine than a Swiss Army knife, then you can go with that. Pick a prop for Dan. 
So this is like means daybreak. Prop for Den, the goddess Eos, dawn goddess in Greek mythology, described with rosy fingers or rosy forearms as she opens the gates of heaven for the sun to rise. I like it. Pick a prop for mul, which means uh, you know, tree. I thought of mythological world tree. Um, this is a word that Alina must, <laughs> it must be from either her native language or it's, it looks like YGGD, Yggdrasil, Yggdrasil as a possibility. So she was saying that the world tree Yggdrasil as a possibility, we finally went with the violet huge tree of souls from the Avatar movie because it seems more visual to me. Sure, I remember that tree from that uh, Avatar movie and that was, um, you know, obviously a very iconic tree and if you can just imagine it quickly this, that's an example you know, tree it's like come, it's a tree you can just easily imagine a tree but then don't just stop there imagine the most magnificent tree you could possibly uh you know bring forth even if it's not your own creative energy thing of it you could think of the most creative tree you've seen in movies which in this case is probably that avatar tree for me as well aaron on pick a prop for yun which means cloud I've got this one as a cloud made out of pink cotton candy that is lighting up like the type of lightning that only sparks inside the cloud. Ah, nice. This gives me so many sensory elements, the taste and feel of cotton candy, plus memories of watching storm clouds. You know, it's funny those those sort of um, impressions that things will make on you. You know, in Chengdu, there's not that much um, lightning. It occasionally happens, but lightning is pretty rare here. And I went to Malaysia back in 2013, and as soon as we got off the plane, just looking out in the distance, you could see the tropical storms and that idea of the lightning that only appears to be going just within the cloud itself is quite iconic. And I like how you're thinking about this, Aaron, by saying you've got the taste and feel of cotton candy as well. Get your senses involved. Get them all involved as much as possible. Jack Brady on pick a prop for E. He said, I chose Zed from the League of Legends. Prop looks like a Z and uh, plenty of emotion tied to me getting one shot as Vayne against Zed. So I guess League of Legends and Vayne against Zed is something that makes sense to Jack. I imagine that League of Legends is a game. Uh, but yeah, I'm not. Uh, that's like, I love it when I don't have any idea what they're talking about. <laughs> that's just kind of a weird thing because I'm like, all right. If I have no idea what I'm talking about, but somebody's able to use that, that means that we've taught this properly. Because if you get how this system works, everything is an autobiography of your life. So whatever you did a lot as a kid, so if you played video games a lot as a kid, use the video game characters as much as possible. I played um, Legend of Zelda and Donkey Kong, and I can imagine any of those characters. Mario, a lot of the Nintendo games, because I had a Nintendo 64 as a kid. And uh, I can imagine any of those characters easily, and they have emotion related to them because of all that time. And so that makes something that you were doing previously in your life that might have even been considered like, oh, you're wasting time on video games or something like that. Uh, that turns that into something that is no longer a waste of time at all. It's something that is like actually quite uh, awesome. So uh, great work there, uh, Jack, on that suggestion. He also has a suggestion for pick a prop for C, which is uh, the meaning of a uh, beggar. He says, it looks like a knight from chess. Oh, yeah, I guess I can see that. Facing to the left with a piece of armor guarding its nose. Sure, yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. This is the prop I used. Yeah, why not? If you can make something the way that the prop looks 
go uh, connect to an actual object like that, that's perfect. Kenneth Morgan, we just did a case study with Kenneth this morning uh, on pick a prop for Xiang. Egyptian plover birds pick the leeches off crocodiles' gums, even standing in their mouths as the crocodiles lie calmly with jaws wide open, wide open. So I'll use a crocodile for this prop. And the reason why is because xiang means each other. And so we suggested some kind of symbiotic relationship. Uh, you know, sharks with remoras was one of the ideas that we had, but this is another one. And um, I would say, Ken, you can just, you can have the Egyptian plover birds in the crocodile's mouth as well, if you want. But if you want to just use the crocodile as it is, that's fine as well. River Nixon on pick a prop for Z. Isaac and Malachi from the movie Children of the Corn. Oh, well, they're both burned into my brain. A good example of a movie scene at too young an age, but both are completely unforgettable. Unforget I went with Isaac. And the reason why Z means child, so, <laughs> geez, Children of the Corn kids, yeah. That's terrifying. But, you know, again, making something good out of what might have originally been a traumatic experience, now you can use that. You know, I'm a big fan of that. This is something that's somewhat unrelated to um, Chinese. But, like, if, if something bad has happened to you in your life, if you can somehow manage to harness that to create something better in your adulthood, especially if it's something that happened in your childhood, that's something that is, like, really, I think, quite admirable because – you know, you need to try to find a way to make your experiences work for you, and that can include bad experiences. And one of the things the Mandarin Blueprint Method does is it says all your experiences are on the table. Anything could possibly be something that helps you learn Mandarin. So don't, you know, don't shy away from it. And, like, so, you know, you might think, oh, I had this traumatic experience. I don't want to think about it. But if you use that traumatic experience to remember Chinese and become fluent in Chinese, that you – that experience didn't define you, right? You ended up taking advantage of it. And that's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So just to keep that in mind as you uh, move forward. River Nixon again on pick a prop for Tun. I went with Hedwig from Hedwig and the Angry Inch, a memorable character to say the least. I haven't seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch. I thought you meant Hedwig from Harry Potter, but that's fine too. Uh, and the reason why it's Hedwig and the Angry Inch is because Tun means to measure or inch it's a chinese measurement system but uh if you wanted to say the english inch uh like a, a, an inch in the imperial system you would say ying tun and ying is the character for ying wen english or ying guo england or ying tun inch in the imperial system um okay River Nixon on pick a prop for Tai, which means like genius. A bike pictured from behind leaning on a kickstand. Well, that's what the actual component looks like from behind because most kickstands are located on the left. Yep, <laughs> I like it. So see, imagining that bike just sort of kickstand like that. Perfect, easy. Now, Natalie said on pick a prop for E, which is the same one that uh, we had a comment from uh, Jack on earlier. She said, this character looks like the number two. That's fine, but the number two is no more memorable than the character itself because it's basically just a squiggle on the page. So what you want to do is find something that is related to the number two. So it could be a pair of something. Now, we already have the component for R, and we suggested twins because twins always come in twos. But if this looks like the number two to you and you can come up with something else that you associate with two, like uh, two of a kind, two 
pilots. You'll always have two pilots. Like I just see what comes into your head when you say the number two. Uh, pair of shoes, pair of pants, like you know something you can come up with a pair of pair of uh, headphones. That's all fine. You want it to be a tangible object you can touch. The number two is not something you can touch. We only had one actor suggestion this week from Alina. Uh, this is the casting call for Zhu. So we're talking about Z-H-U. If there's the U sound, we're going to have it be a fictional character. And the Z-H, even though you know, you'd normally have it, it starts with the letter Z, it sort of sounds like the letter J. Uh, but in this case, Alina knows a Chinese movie that has Zhu uh, Long. Yeah, so... Um, Oh, Zhulong. Yeah, because it's a Chinese torch dragon. She didn't put the characters here, but I know that a torch would be um, uh, uh, Zhu. And so, yeah, Zhulong. Giant red solar dragon and god in Chinese mythology. It supposedly had a human's face and a snake's body. Created day and night by opening and closing its eyes and created seasonal winds by breathing. Excellent. Excellent choice. Wow. So the fact that it has a human face makes it okay because it's almost better to be a prop if it were just a dragon, but the human face makes it a good actor in this case. Alina, great job with all this knowledge of uh, Asian media and mythology. All right, awesome. So we have uh, three movie scenes to share this week, which is awesome. I love the, the shared movie scenes. So what we're going to do here is we're going to take our actors, our sets, our props, Put them together to create a scene that exemplifies the keyword. Now, the first one is for make a movie for do. So this character, do, means week. One week or, you know, uh, you know, liang do would be two weeks. It can kind of be used in a measure word format. So if you're, um, we might say, yi ge ren, you know, yi zhou de shi jian, like that's a, one week of time would be a way you could put it. And usually they'll just leave out the jian because it's obvious. But it kind of functions like a measure word. This one was a little tough to put together with the props. I eventually landed on my ZH actor outside the entrance of my OU set, handing out flyers for a performance this week only. I then have him performing inside a giant glass cover, miming behind the glass, Inside the glass is a giant Rolling Stones mouth, which he then, then uses as a swing. Nice. He then jumps from the mouth to a giant pot of soil, which is above the mouth, and he burrows himself inside and starts sprouting. Nice. At the end of the week, he closes shop. Adding the Beatles song Eight Days a Week to my scene also helps anchor the meaning to my movie. Oh, I need your love, babe. Yes, you know it's true. I love that song. And that's perfect. Putting songs in the background is an easy way. It's such an easy connection. If you have something like uh, eight days a week. Perfect. Um, and then finally, she says, I used it to make a montage of the different days of the week he did in his performance. Nice. And these all can happen in your head so quickly, but it's pretty cool. You know, um, one of the things I've always thought with this particular uh, character, because it means weak, and weak is kind of an abstract word, is you want to think of anything that you can do weekly. Now, in this case, she did this uh, flyer for a performance that's this week only, and the eight days a week in the background should solidify it enough. But I like to think of something that you only do once a week. And one thing that comes to mind is 
people go to church once a week. Uh, maybe they watch football once a week. They change their sheets on their bed once a week. Just something that you do on a weekly basis specifically and you can make that connection is another way you can make this character quite memorable or make that keyword connection quite memorable. Nice. And everything was involved in that scene too. No, no particular suggestions other than that. Greg Reed on Make a Movie for Zoe. So this is the character for Walk or to Leave. Zach Galifianakis, he's the representation of Z, is in the living room of my grandmother's house. So for some reason, for Greg, his grandmother's house is the representation of OU. And uh, so, you know, he doesn't exactly say why that is, but it doesn't matter. Uh, and he's in the living room because it's third tone. So Zach Galifianakis in the living room of his grandmother's home. We already have Zoe. Now we just need to make the props go together to create the meaning. He is fascinated by a rocket launcher on the ground and decides to pick it up. So that's the bottom component. He gets excited at how cool it is, but in doing so, accidentally fires a rocket, causing the room to explode. So at this point, I'm already imagining, imagining that Zach Galifianakis is there. And he's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Though. Ooh, he lets it off and like has the reaction shot of his face. Like, oh my God, I just let off a rocket launcher. <laughs> he is... Oh, and then he causes the room to explode, so he kills himself because he ascends to heaven where a large cross is before him. <laughs> That's great. Um, in the background, and the large cross is the top component. In the background, Kanye West's song, uh, Jesus Walks, is playing as he starts and nods along to the song, Jesus Himself Walks By. <laughs> so, perfect. Another one that uses music. I love that because I'm a musical guy myself, and I, anytime you can use a song to remember the keyword. It's just such an easy connection. It's so simple. There's so many connections, it's absolutely outrageous. Like I just, when I think about this sometimes, I'm like, this is so easy. It's like, the only thing I feel like I need people to understand is to gain the perspective to sort of um, realize just how easy this is. It's like people think it's hard because it appears hard on the outside, but once you realize how many connections there are, how many possible objects you can imagine, how many people you know, how good you are at recommending faces. By the way, tangent, certified tangent before we get to Aegis scene, I listened to a really, really good podcast uh, this week, uh, the Making Sense podcast, which is by Sam Harris, uh, about, I believe it's called um, Mind space and well it's the most recent podcast on sam harris's making sense podcast and it was all about spatial thinking and how spatial thinking preceded thinking that is based on language and it was fascinating to listen to because it kept making me think of mandarin blueprint and how so much of what we do is applying a more ancient form of uh a more ancient form of thinking to teach you a more modern form of thinking, which is language thinking. So when I'm speaking to you right now and I'm trying to talk through these rather conceptual things, I'm using language to help me uh, express myself. And so you could say it's the type of thinking that relates to language. But when you are moving, like for example, when I'm running, as I like to run, that requires a lot more spatial thinking. And almost all spatial thinking is what made us need to use language in the first place because uh, the the space around us had all these inputs and there's so many things that are happening and it's a very complex world out there. And eventually, in order to survive, the best thing we could do was to cooperate with other human beings so that we could quickly, you know, I don't know, hunt down the thing we needed or gather the right uh, food or we needed some type of communication that was more complicated than just pointing and grunting and things like that. 
And so eventually we developed language, but there had to be that foundation of spatial thinking first for language to jump off on. And when you actually think about how much better we are at spatial thinking than language-based thinking, it's, uh, it's quite amazing because language is like a baby compared to how long spatial thinking has been evolving. Ija's movie for Nan, which means South, so the character for South, she's getting to the end. She's probably looking forward to our expansion. Her actor is Neil Armstrong. He's the representation of N. The set is her anatomy lab, sure, An, and anatomy, perfect. Her props are the syringe, that's the top prop, the glass cover, and a docked sheep, a sheep with a shortened tail, a common practice in sheep farming. And the reason for this is that that bottom component in Nan is not actually um, really used in very many other characters. I can't think of a time that I've seen it. It's kind of like the character Gan with horns on the top of it, but it's kind of rare. It doesn't really show up like that. But this is like the character Yang with just a stroke missing. So she says a dot sheep, sheep with a shortened tail. Tail, And this type of thing will happen sometimes with characters. Like there's a character that has, and it's partially because of the simplification of Chinese, but uh, a character will have an aspect to it that's like only used in it or only it and another character. And that other character is really rare. And what do you do in that situation? Well, sometimes you can modify another prop to show there's something different, like taking a sheep and making it a docked sheep with a shortened tail. Okay, so here's her scene. Neil Armstrong has finally retired from collecting specimens on the moon and is now collecting animal specimens on Earth. During his visit to New Zealand, he was given a sheep by a friend named William Admetis. <laughs> of course, another uh, Mandarin Blueprint student. Neil is now in the hallway of my anatomy lab, prepping the sheep for taxidermy. But since sheep with shorter tails are super cute... <laughs> He decides to keep the sheep alive under a giant glass cover with a syringe on the outside for feeding. Now, whenever he looks at the cute sheep, Neil is reminded of all the precious memories he had down south. And I think making New Zealand your representation of south is perfectly reasonable. Uh, and uh, I love the scene. Everything's got going there. And we're even getting other Mandarin Blueprint students involved. I think we might be reaching black belt level of mnemonic scenes here, Ija. Well done. All right. So... Uh, and then finally, related to the movies, Alina had a suggestion for the make a movie for die, which means like kind of dumb. And she said just a couple of suggestions for people if they're looking for script inspiration. The song uh, Dumb by Nirvana and Dumb and Dumber, the movie. Absolutely. I think those both could be great inspirations. Uh, whenever you have a song that has the name of the keyword in the title, you could have it playing in the background. Okay, cool. All right. Now, some miscellaneous questions. Speaking of New Zealand, we have... Uh, Rebecca, I don't know if it's a Webble or Weeble on compound final IE or YE. Yeah. And she says, <laughs> I'm from New Zealand. And so I was thinking it just sounded like, yeah, which I guess in New Zealand, you'd say more like, yeah. Um, and I, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> so, you know, it's finally kind of like whenever I try to think of the New Zealand accent, I'll think of the word pen. Uh, in American English, we would say eh. But in New Zealand English, it seems like it's kind of like a, uh, more like an i, so more like pin, almost like the pin, like a pin needle. Um, I always think about that when I'm trying to think of the New Zealand accent, because that's a little bit, one of the, it's, when you're first living abroad, you meet a lot of international people. And so I've heard from the English speaking world, I've met people from every country. And uh, one of the things that's hard for 
sometimes for Americans to recognize the difference between the Australian and the New Zealand accent, but I think I got it down at this point. <laughs> Kathleen Gans on Anki Decks Inside, another SRS level up. So she has a question. This is a good question. I've started the first few grammar building Anki cards today. I've noticed something that in the audio recording, sometimes two third tone words follow each other and rather than making the first word second tone, both of them are kept third tone, but with a short pause between them. The sentence, 我的马很胖, seems to be an example where both 马 and 很 sound like their third tone. This sentence is written within the first 20 grammar building sentences of level 13, and so there's a, actually quite a simple answer to this. So the tone sandy rule, which is what she's referring to, like for, exa for example, 很好, or 你好, technically speaking, 很 and 好 are both third tone, but when they're together, it's 很好,很好,你好, but 你 by itself is third tone. So why is it 你? Well, because of this tone sandy rule. But this sentence, 我的马很胖,马 and 很 are completely separate words. So it's not, um, for example, if I said 我的野马,我的野马, that's Two third tones, ye ma. It means wild horse, right? And ye by itself is normally third tone, but it would be ye ma because it's one word. Now, this is tricky because hun, if that's a, that's a particular character that if it goes with another uh, adjective or it goes before an adjective that's a third tone, like hun hao or hun xiuan, right? Or that would be a verb in that case, but a psychological verb. But regardless, that will be affected by the tone change rule. But in this case, when you have 我的马很胖, it would be kind of weird to say 我的马很胖. That's okay. It's okay to say it that way. But the reason why is because um, 马 and 很 are completely separate. You've got 我的马, that's the subject of the sentence. What about it? 很胖, right? So there's sort of this subject-predicate uh, relationship here. And ma by itself is enough separate from the idea of hun pang, which is describing it, that you can say it with that pause. And that's a natural, it's kind of interesting that both Annie and Jerry naturally did that because what they were essentially doing is they're saying, this is about, this sentence is about the horse. So we're going to have a little pause here. 我的马很胖, 我的马很胖, right? And, if you can pause, then sure, you can do two third tones in a row. But it's like, if you want to speak quickly, it's a little bit tough to go. Like, suppose I was going, It's kind of like, if I tried to keep them both low like that, so to make it faster, I'd go, In that case, I did second tone, but that's because I'm trying to go fast. But if I were to say, Right? Like, it's like kind of, you're setting the subject and then you're commenting on it, right? And that's that um, topic comment structure happens all the time in Chinese. And it's not like a rule. You can't figure out a definite rule for when this happens. But in this case, what the reason for that discrepancy is because they've set, set the um, subject with ma and then they're just being like, okay, now that we've set the subject, pause for a second and make a, a comment about that. So it's an exception to the rule, but um, it doesn't come up all that much. Fred Snyder on Unit 5 Wrap-Up, I have a problem pronouncing the initial C together with the finals A-O and A-I. Any suggestions? Thanks. So that would be 
tau and tai, tau, tai. So we talked about how C can be pronounced like the T-S in cats. Cats. Tau, tai. Now what's interesting is that Fred didn't say that he has any trouble saying ta, C-A, ta. But that's the beginning of tau or tai. So either way, you have the a before the o or e. So ta, tau, tai. All three of those start with the same sort of initial vowel sound with the a, and then they move to either o or i after that. So uh, maybe that'll be helpful to you, Fred. And of course, when you think about it, you've got other pronunciations that start with c, like for example, that's C-E. is more common. You'll hear it. It means toilet. So that, it seems like you're not having a problem with that. I would just suggest practice your ta, practice your tai. Uh, you have this one, tan. That's C-A-N. So that's another A sound. Of course, the A-N sound and the A are a little bit different. But any of the sounds, what I would recommend is move them around your different finals. So ta, tau, tai, tan, tong, tong, te, right? Like try to do the different finals together and recognize that the commonality amongst the whole thing is the t at the beginning. Hopefully that's helpful. Aaron on New Vocabulary Unlocked, Zhenwei. This way seems to be second tone rather than fourth. Yeah, usually way is second tone. It can be fourth sometimes. It, it, it depends. It's uh, sometimes it's second, sometimes it's fourth. <clears throat> is this character pronounced both in second and fourth tones? If so, what is the meaning of the second tone way? Uh, thanks. So uh, generally speaking, they don't change too much meaning uh, with this. I, it's kind of, I wish I had a better, here's an example of when, how when you just get language acquisition through comprehensible input, like I have for a lot of my Chinese understanding, I've noticed that Wei tends to be fourth tone when it's in in Wei and Wei Shema or Wei La. And it's like by itself. But a lot of times when it's in other words and it's in um, uh, either a combination with R, Wei, uh, Wei Ta Er Zuo, Wei Ta Er Zuo, like for him, so I did, right? Like, um, that's like for the serve for the people right that's like a kind of government thing that they'll say a lot of times when it's like that it's second tone and i don't know why uh exactly but there's no difference in meaning it's still uh fundamentally the meaning of four way and way they're they're kind of these uh characters that function in a very grammatical way so sometimes it's difficult to use other language to explain it but uh, I usually see it as wei when it's in the wei la or wei shema or in wei. And even in wei can be in wei. I've, some people say it like that all the time. So it's, uh, it's really just a matter of getting as much input as you can and it's hearing sometimes when it's second and hearing sometimes when it's fourth. But you have a good ear, Aaron. So like uh, just really most of the time it doesn't matter. Uh, I never hear anybody say wei la or it's always or but other than that it's generally speaking it's kind of can mix it can be either alina 
on it's a word. Is it a hint why 你干的工作不错 is translated in past and not in present? It happens to me a few times to translate simple sentences like this into present, but then I see other people make them past. I have no idea why. So the, there is a little bit of a hint here. Uh, 你干的工作不错 First of all, the speaker is commenting on the work. You know. As that the work being has been done, right? Because it's like, how can you say that it was putor, which means like not bad, unless it's already happened. Like it, if it was present, it wouldn't really make much sense. But then also the um, you'd usually have some kind of present marker like zai or tu or na. Those three zai tu na. Those three are present indicators, and none of them are there. So. That's another reason why it seems to be past, because things that are happening in the present are, you know, very short-lived. As soon as something has happened for, you know, <laughs> happened even a few seconds ago, it's already in the past. So, in this case, 你干的工作不错 translates as like your work is pretty. Your work was pretty good, or your work is. I mean, you could say your work is pretty good, but even still,、um, it's like that's still a comment on work that's already been done. And also, just by the by, sometimes Chinese it's it can be it's not as clear as it is in English. In English, we tend to always add the ed or the ing at the end of words when we're talking about past or present or future. We always say will. In Chinese, you say it sometimes, but it's not. There are also general comments you can make that kind of seem outside of time, which is kind of crazy, but it is sort of true. Clayton Lee on it's a word for Jiang. What's the difference between He and Jiang? Well, from ancient Chinese, the difference between He and Jiang was just that He was the Yellow River and Jiang was the Yangtze River. Because as far as China was concerned, it was like these are the only two rivers that matter.、Um, but He is a little bit more standard.、Uh, that's a bit more common. You'll use that as the general word for rivers. Jiang again originally was the character for the Yangtze River. The Changjiang, the long river, the long Yangtze River, and sometimes as a sort of proper noun, certain rivers will be called something something Jiang, or、uh, and of course proper nouns for a river could be something something He, but either way He is a bit more common. But they both mean the same thing. They originally just came from the、uh, Yellow River and Yangtze River. That's what it comes down to. Aaron has another question that involves the character Wei. She says, "I don't understand how e by means of and way for come together to mean think mistakenly. Sometimes the meaning of words like this with two or more characters don't always make sense based on the definition of each separate characters. Do you have tips for these kinds of compound words? Well, you know, you could just reframe that and say, 'Isn't it amazing how rarely this type of thing happens where you can't really necessarily tell the meaning just by looking at the two characters?' Because Of course, Chinese is not perfect. It's not a language that is perfectly consistent across all、uh, different words. So I can, I'll agree with you that it's not necessarily obvious、um, that that's what this means. But what I would say is that、uh, you know, Zhen Wei means to think, and it doesn't have any idea of think mistakenly or whatever. But Yi Wei means I thought, but it turns out I was wrong, and. Originally, this word just meant to think, and then over time, it evolved into meaning think mistakenly. And as for that particular etymology, I've never studied it. But what I can say is, it's 
not the only level of analysis that you can get the uh, acquisition of the word. So what I would recommend is that if you're ha having trouble remembering the word, go to bing.com slash dict uh, or go to linedict.com or go to uh, juku.com, which are all like sentence warehouse resources where you can just type in the character and it'll give you sentences. See if you can filter for easy sentences, spoken sentences, and look for a few more sentences that use e-way and get the emotional context of the sentence and understand, oh, I, I thought you were coming an hour earlier. You've caught me walking around my house alone in my clown suit. Um, something that will give you an idea that like e-way is indicating a mistaken thought and then you can get the acquisition from the level of the sentence. It doesn't always have to be from the level of the word. It's nice that Chinese allows that, but think about if you were learning English, so many words in English are not clear what the word means without context. So you have to learn it through context. So it's almost like a bonus that Chinese ever allows you to know what a word means just by looking at the characters. So if it occasionally doesn't happen, remember if people can learn English, then there must be some way they do it without figuring it out just from the word itself. So if you can't figure it out from the word itself, my tip would be go to the sentence and add more sentences to your uh, review queue. All right, Jack on bonus strategy is everything while learning Chinese. So he was referring to this paragraph from that page uh, on that uh, lesson. And what he said was, or what we wrote here was, so this is a quote from our uh, copy on this page. We're determined to help you break down these steps into a strategy that is not only coherent, but also linear. A step-by-step -step process takes the onus off of you for figuring out what to do next. Universities implicitly claim that they can help you decide what to do next, but they're at the mercy of bureaucracy and evaluation, so they sacrifice what you genuinely need for higher exam performance. So, the, you know, exams are not the best indicator of how well your Chinese is going, but they need them because they're standardized tests that, and, you know, a university needs something to, you know, judge your performance, but language is tricky to judge your performance on, especially when it's so eclectic. And so we said, so universities are bound by this bureaucracy and they're, and so anyway, so that, um, and then I wrote, uh, that's ingrained institutions for you, right? Us, we're not ingrained. We're just a couple of fellows who had bad, had had enough of the nonsense teaching materials out there and decided to change it. Luckily, with the interconnected world we live in today, that's actually possible. And Jack said in response, <laughs> and somehow a couple of fellows have done a better job than tens of thousands of academics around the world. Well, that's very kind of you to say, um, Jack, and I don't know, I hope so. Uh, certainly, there are reasons why. I mean, that makes it sound like we're like, we're better than academics. But it's not, it's not that we think that. It's that we uh, are aware that they're constrained by this thing where they have to do, they have to teach to the test. And so that constrains them quite a bit. Fred, on bonus, how to find and fix pronunciation problems, he says, great summary of helpful resources. Have you considered listing some helpful external tools as a part of resources? I particularly would like to know where I can get Chinese movies. Have found HTTPS, www.viki.com, has many free TV series and movies. Some have learning mode, would welcome others. Uh, we do have a, a blog post called The Ultimate Guide to 
online look Chinese online learning, the ultimate guide to online Chinese learning. One of those, but it's um, on our website. If you just go to our blog and type "ultimate guide," you'll find it. And uh, we have a bunch of stuff there. And then, um, you know, uh, the learning mode thing on Vicky.com, though I've never heard of that, and that sounds awesome. So we could maybe add that to that particular uh, blog post. All right, nice. Oh, there's another resource he found. He said, let me share another resource I found. Dim sum at mandarintools.com, particularly the Chinese reading assistant and dictionary. Another free tool is P-R-A-A-T, Dutch for to speak. It does a frequency analysis of audio input. This one is a little techy, but may be of interest to you. So cool. So we have dim sum from mandarintools.com and we have uh, Pratt for Dutch for to speak. Alina on Learn Mandarin bottom up and top down. This will be our last one for today. She says, thank you so much for sharing your experience. It gives me courage and hope. Two years ago, I began to study Chinese. And even if just as a hobby, I was very passionate about it. I attended a course once a week having a native Chinese teacher. And in two months, I passed HSK1 exam with maximum scores. But after, the re after that, the real struggle began. I wanted to progress, but every method I tried by myself finally proved really useless. Objectively speaking, I've tried some of the ways you talked about here, including tenaciously writing again and again pages full of the same characters. And just when I was thinking I knew them, I discovered after a few weeks that it was just a sandcastle. I could not remember things like, was it human legs or animal legs? And so many details without which particularly have learned. Nothing. And also the tones were a pain. At a point, I tried to use different colors when writing. But this was not only exhausting, but also leading to no result. In short, the next year I had periods I just abandoned Chinese and then tried it again with new ideas just to achieve nothing really. But with your method, at least until now, I finally feel some progress. And even better, I feel progress is possible. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Alina, for giving it your best shot. And you will be rewarded for putting in the effort with the Mandarin Blueprint Method. You know, you go to a university, you go to a Chinese class, you won't necessarily be rewarded for your effort. And it's a bit of a shame that that's true, but... Uh, we promise if you put in the effort, you're going to get a great reward for it. And thank you so much for putting that effort in. I'm Phil Crimmins. This is the Mandarin Blueberry Podcast. Check out all of our social media and stuff. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, I guess subscribe and like. That's what you're supposed to do, right? We've never, ever put that at the end of our YouTube videos. <laughs> Hence why our YouTube channel doesn't have that many subscribers. So subscribe, please. Subscribe. And so uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much.